that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You already clean because you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you might, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name the father will give you this is my command love each other Amelia good morning everybody good to see you all here this morning hope you're enjoying the cooler weather as I am and we hope hope we get uh, a bit of rain out of this Um, let's pray together as we come to God's word um, Father God, we thank you for the chance to pause from our weekly routine uh, and to hear your word and to reflect on, on what it means for us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today through it and that we may go away encouraged but also changed because of it uh, and that it may impact our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I grew up on a farm. There are lots of perks about growing up on a farm, like uh, being able to drive, drive a ute uh, and motorbikes when I was far too young and having a couple of thousand acres as a backyard. Uh, but I think my fondest memory from growing up on a farm was being able to hang out with my dad uh, because... Uh, I went out to him to the office uh, when I was too young to go to school uh, and I did that just about every day. Uh, It didn't matter what Dad was doing. Usually it would be actually something pretty boring like uh, ploughing a paddock where you would go round and round uh, in circles on a tractor for hours and hours on end, ploughing, or getting in the way while Dad was drenching sheep. Uh, But what mattered for us, uh, my brother came with me, Uh, was just hanging out, being with Dad, Uh, because we loved him and we we looked up to him, we wanted to be like him and being out on the farm with him meant everything to us. The relationship between fathers and their children or mothers and their children is a relationship like no other, uh, isn't it? Uh, Today we're going to be looking at another father-son relationship. 
between God the Father and Jesus his Son. It's a unique uh, relationship that has similarities with a human parent relationship, parent-child relationship. But it's also very different. And we'll see from John chapter 15 that the father-son bond is also one of love. A love that's been there for eternity. And Jesus has loved us with the same kind of love that he has with his father. And we'll see that that sacrificial love that the father has for Jesus and Jesus uh, sorry, that the Father has for the Son is the same kind of love that is to be the basis for our love for each other, how we are to love each other. Well, the reason why we're jumping into John chapter 15 today, you can see uh, on, the, on the overhead, is that we're starting a new series, a three-week series called Head, Heart, Hands. We actually did it before last, last year on a different topic, uh, but this year, it is on the topic of community. Um, head kind of represents the theology, uh, what the Bible has to say behind community. Heart is to do with how we respond in our lives to what God says. And then hands is getting really practical. So that's where we're going over the next couple, uh, few weeks, all on community. And we'll be looking, uh, uh, um, looking ahead to hands in particular, we'll be looking at the very practical issue of forgiving one another uh, and what that looks like uh, for us. But today, we, we're looking at John, John 15, we're looking at heads, uh, we're looking at the issue of community. Uh, please follow along in the bulletin, you've got three, three uh, simple points. Uh, our first point is that the Father loves the Son. Um, Keep your Bibles open as well because we'll be, we'll be looking at that. We'll be looking actually from, from verse 9 uh, to, to verse 17 of John chapter 15. Have a look at verse 9 with me. As the Father has loved me, so, I have, so have I loved you. Now what do we know about the Father's love for the Son? What's their relationship? What's it mean for God to be the Father and for Jesus to be the Son? All of these are huge questions, aren't they? Um, if we've been a Christian, we, we're somewhat familiar with it, but I think we, we still find it hard to get our heads around uh, what it means. And today, we, we're not going to have time to even begin to scratch the surface. Um, but what we will do uh, is to try, to try to get some context for these words to, to be able to get a handle on them. We'll try to give you a a boiled-down version which, which can hopefully get us started. Well, the Bible tells us that God, our Creator, uh, that, there, that there is one God, um, our Creator who controls everything. But at the same time, it's clear that there are three distinct personalities uh, within what we call the Godhead. There is the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They are all God. Uh, only one God, as we said, the Bible's very clear on that, but three separate personalities or persons who relate to each other. Most of the information about how they relate to each other actually comes from Jesus himself. 
um, and, and talking about his relationship with the Father, how he relates to the Father, how the Father relates to him. So in verse 9, we're told that Jesus loves us just as the Father loves him. Our problem is that we can't see the Father, we can't see how he and Jesus relate. We, we find it hard to get our head around exactly what that looks like. But I want to show you three places in the Bible that give us a picture of that love, which I think can help us to understand it. The first one is in the book of John, the same book we're in, but back in chapter 3. Have a look uh, with me at John 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son, this is Jesus talking, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Um, two weeks ago, uh, if you were here, you'll remember we talked about God having big hands and open hands um, from Psalm, I can't remember what Psalm it was, one of the Psalms. Um, the idea that God has everything under his control, uh, under his authority, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything in creation uh, is, is under God's control. Every creature, the nations, every prime minister, every president, every dictator, none of them lift a finger outside of God's control and authority. Well, this verse tells us that that authority has been given to the Son. The Father has given that to Jesus into his hands. The second verse I want to show you says a similar thing. It's from the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verse 16. Let's read it together. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything has been created for Jesus. But notice it adds an important piece of information. Everything was also created through Jesus, through the Son. He is the creator, in other words. He has always been with the Father and he is the one who at the beginning of the world said, let there be light, let the sun and the moon appear in the sky. But let's come back to the Father giving the Son everything into his hands. By doing that, he shows his approval. He shows his love for, for Jesus. He shows that he is willing to entrust him with everything. Think about someone you love, maybe your parents, maybe your, your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe your best friend, your children perhaps. Handing responsibility over to them is a pretty key sign that you trust someone and you love them, isn't it? your willingness to give them control over something. Julie and I share the same bank account and uh, I, think, I think we were in Taiwan at the time. For some reason we got locked out of the bank account. For me it was a, it's a pretty regular occurrence as I always forget my password. So we have to ring up and say, look, can you please uh, let us back into our bank account. Julie was doing it on this occasion and the bloke he spoke to gave her a lecture about the fact that we share the same password to get into the bank account. She said, oh, you shouldn't do that. You never know when your husband's going to leave you and then he'll run off with all your money. Uh, no, no, you need your own separate bank account. But Julie and I share the same password because we trust each other. We love each other. We're willing to, we're willing to entrust our, 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 our 
our shared finances to each other um, because of that love uh, that we have for each other. The father demonstrates his love for the son in his willingness to give him authority over the whole universe. But even that can be hard for us to get our heads around, can't it? Because, again, we can't see that. We can't see how the Son has authority over the universe. We can't see that interaction between the Father and the Son. But I think our third picture uh, is actually a bit more easy for us to get our heads around. Uh, And that is, um, it comes in the final hours of Jesus' life. The night that he knew... Sorry, the night before he knew that he was going to die. Jesus went off on his own to pray. And we pick up the story in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 14. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You may know the story. He went off on his own to pray and he said these words. He said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to his disciples. I've been sad at different points in my life, but I can't imagine what it would be like to be sorrowful to the point of death. Perhaps you can. Perhaps you've been in that darker place. Perhaps you can relate to these words. What's going on here? Why is Jesus in such despair? Well, in the next chapter of Mark's Gospel, we are told the answer. It wasn't just a horrific physical torture of Jesus going to the cross as, as uh, unbelievably um, difficult that would have been and how, how unimaginably hard it is for us. It was something worse than that. For him, it was as he was hanging in on the cross, struggling to draw breath, Mark says that Jesus cries out. Pick it up in, in Mark chapter 15. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, leme sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are extraordinary words, aren't they? God saying to God, the Son saying to his Father, Why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Now we haven't got time to unpack everything that this means in this verse, but very simply on the cross, the Father really did turn his back on Jesus. He poured out his anger on his own son. Why? Not because of anything that Jesus had done, but because at that point, Jesus was paying the price for every evil, every every wrongdoing that has ever been committed in the world. Every sin of ours, he wore that on his shoulders. And so the father turned his back on him. At that point, the father did the one thing that was unbearable to Jesus. He cut off his love, cut off that relationship with the son that had been the closest relationship imaginable from eternity past. At that point, Jesus was cut off from that. And that gives us an insight into how the Father loves the Son that we can at least begin to understand. Again, think of the person or people who you love the most, your spouse, parents, whoever it is. Think of suddenly being cut off from that relationship, that, that, 
that relationship you rely on, that, 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 that gets you up in the morning perhaps, that keeps you going through the day. Suddenly that's cut off and you have no possibility of feeling that love. In fact, worse than that, that, that person who you love and trust more than anyone else in the whole world suddenly turns on you and all you feel rather than their love is, is their anger and hostility. Well, that gives us a tiny picture of the of how a tiny window of how Jesus felt. Because he had lived from eternity, inseparable, in complete unity and love with his father. Something that's uh, easier for us to relate to than that, I think, even, is our second point, and that is the son's love for us. Um, the father's love for the son is kind of hard for us to picture, again, because we can't see God. We can't see Jesus at this point. But again, have a look at verse 9. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus' love for us is, is easy to understand. It's more concrete. He came to earth in flesh and blood. We hear his words even though we weren't there, we, 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 as we read scripture, we hear his words of compassion as he healed the sick. We see his love for the outcast as he put his hands on people who are untouchable. Those who had leprosy who were forced to live apart from everyone else. We feel the depths of his love in the way he welcomed the unlovable. Tax collectors, the demon-possessed, those thrown out to the margins by polite society, forgotten and discarded. But most of all, most of all, we see Jesus' love in something we just looked at a moment ago. That's his death. Jump down to verse 13 with me. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is referring there to his own death. The whole reason he came to earth. Now it's true that he was betrayed and, and, and unjustly accused of crimes he was not guilt, guilty of. So in one sense he was swept along by an unjust system uh, who were determined to do away with him. But it's equally true, and the reality is that Jesus chose his own death. He wouldn't have died if he hadn't have chosen that. In fact, it was his whole purpose for coming to earth. He chose to die for his friends, as it says there. And that's us. We are his friends. His, not just his original disciples, but every believer through eternity is his friend. Everyone who trusts in him and follows him, who does what he commands. Now, it's also true that Jesus died for his enemies. Scripture is very clear on that point. But Jesus here focuses on his friends because that's who he's addressing. And he wants to make it very clear to them just how much he loves them that his love is focused on them. And he shows that love with the greatest 
action possible for him to sacrifice his own life. Sacrificial love is hard, isn't it? Um, for our love for someone to, to actually cost us something. Uh, I struggle to do that. I even struggle to do that in, in little pathetic ways. Um, of an evening, I try to make Julie an iced tea. Um, inconveniently, she refuses to drink hot tea, which is much easier to make. You just stick a tea bag in and a bit of sugar if you have it. Uh, I can't persuade her to have hot tea, so I have to make the hot tea but then fill it with ice cubes. Uh, and then I have to get the ice cubes from the freezer and inevitably the ice cube drawer is empty so I have to get new ice cubes out, I have to fill the old ice cubes up, I have to put them in the fridge. It takes about two minutes to do that. And I whinge about it. I whinge about it endlessly to Julie. Um, but I do it, hey, because I love her. A silly example, isn't it? But it just shows how easily... I whinge and how hard self-sacrifice is for me. Uh, and perhaps it is the same for you too. But for Jesus, his love, his self-sacrifice cost him everything. He gave up his power and authority to be despised, rejected, abandoned here on earth and ultimately, as we saw before, by his father during the time that he hung there on that cross. Now, we might have a lot of questions about what Jesus did, uh, who he is even, or, or, or what he said. Uh, lots of tricky parables and sayings that we perhaps don't understand. And if you're, if you're not yet a believer, but still looking into who Jesus is, I'm sure you do um, have lots of questions. Um, but let me encourage you that there is no better starting point to understand Jesus' love for you than to look here to the cross. There are lots of things we can't understand about Jesus or are difficult to understand, but it's actually not difficult to understand how much Jesus loves us by looking at what he was willing to do for us at the cross. So Jesus is loved by the Father and he in turn loves us which he showed by laying down his life for us at the cross. And then our third point is that Jesus says that we are to love one another in the same way that, God has loved, that he has loved us. And that's a huge thing, isn't it, when you think about it? We just saw that Jesus gave up his very life and he calls us to love in the same way. Have a, it says, says it right there in verse 12. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Then as we've already seen the next, in the very next verse, Jesus talks about a, a laying down his life for his friends. So the expectation is for us to do that same thing. That's a massive statement, isn't it? Almost too much for us to take in. How can we possibly love like Jesus did? Well, on one level, of course, we can't do that. Jesus was unique. He alone is God. We're not God. 
Jesus alone could die for the sins of the world. We, of course we can't do that. But let's try to dissect what Jesus meant. For most of us, he's probably not literally talking about dying, laying down our life. There are very rare exceptional circumstances where that is the case. Soldiers are in, in war situations who choose to lay down their life for their comrades. Tragically, we've seen it this summer, haven't we, with fireys, um, a number of them who have laid down their life for the benefit of those who they're protecting. But for most of us, laying down our lives for others means much more mundane, everyday things. Sacrificial love. Jesus talked about it when we said we are to die for ourselves and that can also be metaphorically applied to mean in our everyday lives. We to sacrifice ourselves, we, we, to, we to lay down our lives, put the interests of others before our own. Now even this can seem like an impossible standard to live up to and left to our own resources it actually is. We can't do it. But when we connected to Jesus through trusting in him, the Bible says that we have all of God's resources at our disposal. We have his spirit. And that enables us to obey his commands and to live his way. But there are also two pictures of Jesus in this passage that can help, or one, one in this passage and one from another passage, that can help us to go forward in loving in that way. As we look at Jesus and his love for the Father and his love for us, that can help us to do as Jesus tells us, to love one another in the way that he loves us. The first picture is in verse 11. Have a look, look at it with me. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the context, if you look back, is that Jesus has just told his disciples to keep his commands and to remain in his love as he has kept his father's commands and remain in his love. And here he goes on to say that his reason for telling them to do that is so that they may be joyful. And notice that he talks about joy from two places. My joy, that is Jesus' joy, coming from Jesus... Result and, and your joy. So the original source of joy is Jesus and he has joined himself because of his relationship with his Father. Because he keeps his commands and remains in his love, so he is filled with joy. And Jesus wants us to experience that same joy by remaining in his love. You see, Jesus' relationship with the Father isn't one based on duty or fear, is it? There were times when I obeyed my Father out of both duty and fear. But for the most part, I did what I did, loved him and obeyed him because, because of that relationship, because I loved him and I wanted to please him. When I was young and as an older boy as well, I longed to have that pat on the back by dad and to enjoy that love with him. 
I obeyed him out of the joy that I had from that relationship. Joy is a far better motivator than, than fear or duty, isn't it? Oh yeah, fear and duty can, can get us doing stuff, but they don't last as a motivation. We can't sustain them. We can't sustain it day in, day out uh, as, a, as a motivator. Jesus delights in his Father. And he wants us to delight in him. And as a spin-off from that, he wants us to delight in each other and to have joy as we serve and love each other. When we see obeying Jesus' words as a command, that's a duty, then that weighs us down. And as I said, it's not, it's not a good motivator. We all know the feeling of guilt that can cripple us and and, and, and weigh down on us, knowing what we ought to do, but we don't do, so we feel more and more guilty. Jesus wants us to be free from that. He wants us to find rest in him from our constant striving and to know, to know that delight in knowing that we are extraordinarily precious to him. No matter what you think of yourself, perhaps you struggle with self-esteem or feeling unworthy or unlovely, or, or a failure. But Jesus wants you to know that he showed you how much you are worth by being willing to go to the cross for you. That's the kind of joy that Jesus wants us to have. The second picture of Jesus comes from the book of Philippians. It's actually just the passage right before the passage Johnny read out to us at the beginning of the service. The writer is the Apostle Paul and he's making the same point that Jesus makes in John 15. That is that that we are to follow Jesus' example and have the same attitude as Jesus. And again, Paul says that we're to have that attitude with one another. You don't have to turn to it. We've got it right here on the screen. But read along with me. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 to 8 Being in very nature God Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross Jesus let go of his rights. He let go of his power and his position. He submitted himself to his father's will because he loves his father and because he loves us. He loves the world. To finish off, I want to try to tie things together. Jesus told us to love one another as he loved us. He loved us by laying his life down for us. What's that mean for us? I think these two pictures of Jesus can help us here. Joy and Jesus relinquishing his rights. We've looked a little bit about the idea of joy, that Jesus obeys the Father out of joy and that he offers us joy as we trust in him and obey him. And I want to leave you now with one thought uh, 
about what it means to follow Jesus' example of letting go of our rights. We could talk about relinquishing our rights in lots of areas, couldn't we? We could talk about um, our right to be respected and recognised, uh, our right to have our needs met, etc. But the one I want to focus on, just for a minute, is, to, is perhaps one we don't think of so much, but I think it's something that we all struggle to let go of, and that is our right for comfort. Jesus relinquished his comfort. He relinquished his right to privilege and comfort as king of the universe. For us, we could also call it the right for convenience. Um, I, I love convenience and I try to hold on to it all the time. Uh, when I make an appointment with someone, I want it to be at a time when it's convenient for me and I work hard to do that. Uh, we don't like being put out, do we? We are willing to serve, but, but to serve according to our schedule often. But Jesus calls us to be willing to be inconvenienced, to be ready to have that conversation when we're tired, to come to that leaders' meeting on a Saturday morning when, I, when I'd rather be sleeping in or, or, or doing, doing, having, having a casual a brunch rather than come to a meeting. To stay behind and clean up the kitchen when, you've, when you just want to go home and go to bed. Then there's another aspect of comfort to do with our comfort zones. What makes us feel comfortable or uncomfortable? To pray with your friends in your, in your CG who you know, to have lunch with those who you know well, after church, um, those, those things are easy to do. It's easy to serve in that way when we're comfortable. But loving one another means relinquishing our right to stay within that comfort bubble. Perhaps the best test of the quality of the community that a church has is to see how ready the regulars are to make newcomers feel welcome. It can be hard work looking out for new people. To, it feels kind of awkward, doesn't it? You don't know what to say. You'd, how do I keep the conversation going? Am I going to be caught talking to this person? And, and not, you know, It's kind of awkward. But I want to say, I reckon that we do, actually do a pretty good job of that at SWEC. Um, so well done, especially to the Welcome Committee, uh, but to all of us as well, I think we genuinely make an effort to make newcomers feel welcome. But of course there's still room for improvement. And I reckon one area we can improve on is after those initial couple of weeks. Uh, so we've already said hello, my name's Marshall, uh, blah, 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 we, and welcome people. But the next step, the next step I think can be harder. Inviting that person out to lunch with us. Uh, taking that next step, which is, which is a, a bigger step, perhaps inviting them to our place, inviting them round to, to play video games uh, or, or, or watch a movie, whatever it is, to go beyond our comfort zone, to, to make people feel welcome. The other side of the coin is that for those of us who struggle to 
interact with others. For those of us who are shy, you might feel on the outer, but just as others need to make an effort to include you, it's also a two-way street, isn't it? You actually have to make an effort with others. You have to actually have to suck it up a bit and do what's not comfortable for you. You also need to let go of your right to be comfortable for the sake of others. Because I want you to think about it in terms of if you don't do that and just always choose to sit on the outside, then you're actually robbing others of your contribution to the community. You're robbing others from the benefit of your relationship with them. And you're robbing others of the opportunity to serve them within that community. We all need to let go of our rights to be comfortable for the sake of others. Jesus let go of his rights in a far more sacrificial way. And he calls us to love with the same love as he has for us. Well, as I said, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going deeper into the hard aspect next week of looking at community. And then two weeks from now, we're going to be looking at the hands aspect. And as I mentioned, be looking at the idea of relinquishing our rights when it comes to the theme of forgiveness, what it means to forgive others. Well, let's, um, let me pray for us as we finish up. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, the example of Jesus, that he loved us in ways that are just unimaginable for us. And even though we can't understand it, uh, we can't possibly understand what he went through, we can understand that he loves us in an unbelievably deep and sacrificial way. We ask, Father, that we might have, uh, as we reflect on what that means and how much you love us, that that might fuel us, strengthen us and motivate us to love each other. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Marshall.